Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Great to be with you. Great to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, it just feels good to be here. I mean, does it feel good to be here? You know, all right, good. Um, we finished this long journey of Nehemiah today. And Nehemiah and Ezra, if you've been with us, you know we've been talking about these two guys for the last eight months. And uh, that's what we do here at First Baptist Delray. We walk through major portions of Scripture. We want everyone to understand how it all fits together. And uh, so today we finish the story of Nehemiah as he has come and he's rebuilt the wall. He's rebuilt God's people. And it's interesting how the story ends. It ends discussing the issue of marriage, which is a perfect segue into where we're going from here. We will begin a series really today, but officially next week, called The Gospel-Shaped Family. The Gospel-Shaped Family. We're going to look at how God intends for us to be in a family and why that's so important. And uh, it's, it's critical to our day. It's so important that we understand what that looks like and because uh, God's given us a beautiful picture in our families and how he wants to reach the world. You know, it's interesting as Julie and I have done a lot of premarital counseling uh, in our marriage and in our lives together. And it's always fun when you ask the question, why do y'all want to get married? I love to ask that question. Sometimes they even ask a more annoying question. I look at the woman and I go, why are you marrying him? And she always smiles usually and says something nice like, I just love his heart. He's so sincere. And I'm looking at him going, that guy? And he asked the guy and you know what he's going to say. Well, she's beautiful. So there you go. You know, that's all I got. That's all I got here. I just want to get married. I think she's great. She's beautiful. And so when we think about marriage, there's all these reasons why we get married. But is there more to it? Is there some holy and amazing purpose in marriage? And we think of how God started out with marriage. It's important for us to understand what we're really supposed to be doing. Yes, Tom Cruise is right and Jerry Maguire, you do complete me, right? If you haven't seen it, you should. Um, but it's more than about me and you, right? There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger purpose for us to be together. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God creating everything, and he creates Adam. And I love how God creates Adam without Eve initially. He creates Adam with a need, with a lack, and it's only by bringing animals to him and as he names them, which I think is such an amazing picture of God's grace and greatness and creativity that he says, all right, Adam, you're going to name these animals. You're going to understand their character, and you're going to give them a name. And as he does that, he sees that they're male and female, right? There's a, there's a male horse and there's a female horse. You know, there's, there's a male and female for all of them except for Adam. And there was none like Adam. And so God caused him to fall into a sleep, and God created Eve. And he brought this one who was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, but who was also different, complementary to him, had what he lacked, was able to 
participate and be a part of the assignment that God gave humans, which was what to, to manage, to care for, and to propagate his creation, and to make it grow, and to be fruitful, and fill the earth, and, and to bear children. This is exactly what he needed, and he gave Eve to Adam. And This is why same-sex marriage, honestly, does not fit into God's plan. Because same-sex marriage is two of the same rather than two that are different but complementary. See, that's what brings God's great glory as he displays himself through man and woman in marriage to bring about his creation being grown and propagated. Now, I just want you to know, if most of you know people who have same-sex attraction or dealing with that, I want you to know we love those people and you should love them too. You should want Jesus, them to know Jesus. And to help them understand who he is and what his purpose is for life. God created marriage between one man and one woman. And it's a beautiful and amazing thing. And it's beautiful to have my granddaughter on the front row sharing with us this morning. Hi, Eileen. Hi, baby. She's saying amen. She's already worshiping. Um, So when we think of marriage, God started it. And then God used it all throughout Scripture to create his people. Abraham called in Genesis chapter 12. God called and says, Abraham, you're going to be a special people. You're going you're to create a people. I'm going to make you special, and you're going to bless the world. I'm going to bless the world through you. And Abraham has to wait. And then through a child, Isaac, and through another child, Isaac's child, Jacob, and through Jacob's 12 sons, what God's people are created in this particular special people that incidentally is only special because God chose them. God raises up this people that he will ultimately send his son through, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes into the world and he opens up and expands God's people so it's no longer Greek or Jew or slave or free. It's everyone is welcome to be a part of God's people through faith in Jesus Christ, through receiving the gift of salvation. And in that, in marriage now, all marriages can be a part of propagating the gospel message, right? All marriages now, no matter what your race or ethnicity, nationality, uh, favorite football team, whatever it is, you can all create, you can all be a part of carrying on the message of Jesus into the next generation. And that's why marriage is so important, right? There's two major key things in marriage that's so important. One is that you propagate the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the next generation. Marriage and bearing children offers that opportunity better than any other opportunity, right? You have those children in your home for 18 to 46 years, somewhere in that range, which I'm in favor of the multi-generational home. I think it's great. Um, But also, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, in your marriage, you get to display and illustrate God's love for his people. You get to illustrate a graciousness, a love for them, a love for each other. So we're going to be looking at the issue of a gospel-shaped marriage and what a gospel-shaped home, a gospel-shaped family, that we live not so much just by the rules, I mean, we like rules, but we live in light of what Jesus has done for us that we want to do for each other. Because really, if we're just keeping the rules, we're really no better than legalists. But if we're living in light of, oh, Jesus Christ paid for my sin. Do you know what? I, 
I'd like to cover yours. Rather than, I'd like to use your sin against you. Right? I, I want to I I be bare some of that because it turns out everybody has sin in their life. I don't know if you all knew that. Anybody without sin, please raise your hand. We want to hear from you. Anybody's spouse without And you know, in marriage, you find out more and more about each other's flaws, don't you? It's hard to hide 24-7, isn't it? God created marriage as an incredible picture, an incredible way for him to illustrate the gospel and to, and to propagate the gospel. And because of that, marriage is essential to populating heaven and keeping people out of hell. It's absolutely essential because everyone that you, every child that you bear, every child that goes out as a disciple, and everyone that they influence, you're saving those people that might not otherwise be saved. But as we end Nehemiah, we see a problem. And we see God's people begin to stray from him and marry those who are enemies of God. Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 just to kind of set the stage for verses 23 through 31, the Word of God says this, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. And as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, in our ears, that seems really wrong, right? That seems racist, and that seems uh, that doesn't care for other people, and we're supposed to embrace refugees and all that, right? Well, understand what he, what's happening here. At this time, before Christ, God's people are the ones who need to stay pure spiritually. And foreigners in this time especially indicated that the enemies of God were infiltrating the people of God. So it's less about nationality, ethnicity, race. It's all about where they were spiritually. And the Moabites and the Ammonites especially had opposed God's people when they were about to come into the land. As a matter of fact, they, 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 were, they came out and, and tried to curse them and tried to discourage them and tried to get them off track as Joshua was about to lead them into the land. And even further back than that, you have to understand who the Moabites are or were. The Moabites, interestingly enough, come from, those of you who know your Bibles, know that they come from the people of Lot. And Lot was the nephew of Abraham, went with Abraham. And Abraham, I mean, Lot lived in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities. And when God was about to destroy them, chased them from there. And that's where you remember the story of Lot's wife is turned into a pillar of salt because she wants to go back. She looks back. But then Lot's daughters get him drunk, and they produce children by him. As a result, the whole nation of Moab is born. Really interesting, because they have a similar background, a similar ancestry to the children of Israel, but they have a different spiritual trajectory. They're going a different direction. As is evidence, later they become enemies of Israel. As I said earlier, they oppose Israel but they also are worshipers of the god Shamash. And this god required child sacrifice. So these are the people that God is telling his people you need to separate from. Do not be a, let them be a part of worship. 
Do not let them have great influence in your life. And then we move to verse 23 and watch what happens. Verse 23. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, In those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. It's, it's shocking, really. It's stunning. They had just been told to separate from them, and then Nehemiah says, actually, instead of separating, some of the people actually married the enemies of God, those who were on a different trajectory than the people of God. And the result of that was that the children didn't know the language. And that means that they were taken on the language of their parents or of the parent from Moab or Ammon, and they were not learning the language that was necessary to access the Word of God. So today it would be like you marry someone and your children now don't know the basic Bible stories. They've not been a part of church growing up. They don't really know what it means to follow Jesus. And so... I'm just blown away that they've just been told to separate and now they're married. They're intermarrying. What we have to understand is that God's people are extremely vulnerable to intermarriage with God's enemies. We're extremely vulnerable to that. It happens over and over and over again in Scripture. Extremely vulnerable to marrying someone who is not on a path to follow Jesus. And the results are very, very difficult and hard. You see, marrying someone with, with a spiritual trajectory away from Jesus is extremely, extremely risky. Today, there's something going on, and especially among younger people, called deconstruction. And this is where you grow up, and as you leave your home, and as you're away from home, you start to say, you know what? I'm not going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to examine everything I was raised, this, I'm going to throw it all out, and then I'm going to go back and see what I really want to believe. Often, there's deconstruction, but there's no reconstruction. Certainly, we're all raised with imperfect parents, amen? I'm grateful for my mom and dad, they're amazing, but they're not perfect. We raised our children to follow Jesus, but we're not perfect either, and neither are you. But you know what? If you're raised to follow Jesus, you're raised with the most important news in the world. You're raised with the most important thing, and that is all about, am I a repentant person following Jesus? Am I on the path to him? Am I getting closer to him than I've ever been before? What's the trajectory of the person that you're marrying? And you may think, well, you know what, Steve, you know what? I'm already married, or you know what, I'm... I've been married and I'm not married anymore. I'm never going to be married again. Uh, what's the point of this? Here's what I want you to hear. You have influence, right? You have influence over others. And how you are married and how you see marriage and how you help your, your, maybe your kids or maybe friends you know, how you help them in their marriage is really, really important. God has positioned you with a certain level of influence. You may say, well, how do I know? How do I know if the person is on a trajectory of following Jesus? You know, I, I, says he goes to church. She says that she has been to church, was raised in church, has a history, has an ancestry. How do I know? Well, let me just give you a few ways to just consider. A good question would be, well, 
would you say you're closer to Jesus than you were 10 years ago? Good question, right? Are you a member of a church or do you actually know someone at the church? Maybe do you actually have someone that has mentored you, has helped you journey to follow Jesus? Do you have a role at the church? Are you a part of a life group at the church? These are all ways you can tell what's the trajectory of the person. Because so many have a history, but their journey is not going toward Jesus. And they may not have ever really received Jesus. So important for us to get this right. You see, a similar spiritual background does not guarantee a similar spiritual trajectory. The people of Moab had a similar background, but they were in no way followers of the one true God. And they proved it over and over and over again. Well, Nehemiah's not having it. Nehemiah is an in-your-face kind of guy. And Nehemiah has literally poured his life into rebuilding the people of God. And he knows that if the people of God begin to marry with those who are far from God, whose path is divergent from God, he knows that the message of God and the mission of God is at great risk. And so Nehemiah, in verse 25, gets really, really up close and personal. Here's what he does. And I confronted them and I beat some of them and I pulled out their hair and I made them take an oath in the name of God saying you shall not give your daughters to their sons and take their daughters for your sons or for yourself Nehemiah saying listen this is not gonna happen he's probably pretty old right now but you give an old guy a baseball bat I'm telling you So what I want you all to do is go get a baseball bat. No, it's not what it's really saying, but we have to understand we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to help people understand how important it is to follow Jesus. How important it is that as as you choose a spouse, that you choose someone who's on that same trajectory to follow Jesus. They may not be as mature as you are, But are they on that path to follow Jesus? You see, couples can greatly benefit by listening to those who have spent their lives building up the people of God. Married couples, couples who are considering marriage, to say, God, are we following Jesus? Is our marriage, is it going to be built on Jesus? Do we have the same purpose in life? Too often, I've seen it over the years many, many times, couples who are struggling in this area never come in until it's too late. They go, you know, we've been on the same, we haven't been on the same page in a long time. Well, why didn't we talk about this before? We could have got you some help before really the love has died. But I love the fact that Nehemiah gets involved. I care. I want you, your children, to be followers of Jesus. Please don't let this happen. I plead with you. And then Nehemiah gives him a good reason. He says this, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women, 
Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Here's what he's saying. Solomon's the most brilliant man probably to ever live. Probably the most successful world leader of all time. People would come just to listen to him, just to hear his wisdom. And he built this incredible kingdom, incredible wealth, but he had 700 wives. It's unfathomable, isn't it? Wasn't that uncommon in those days for leaders to accumulate wives? And a lot of it was done to build alliances with other countries, other kings. But it was also also done because that's who Solomon was. He was that kind of a guide. He liked a lot of women. And as a result, even the most brilliant man in the world was led astray. Solomon began to worship other gods. And yes, Solomon even began to worship the god of Moab, Chemosh, the one who demanded child sacrifice. Here's the message we've got to get out of that. None of us are smart enough to overcome the influence of an ungodly spouse. You see, trajectory trumps intelligence. The spiritual trajectory of your spouse is going to be very hard to overcome. Even Solomon was not able to do it. So, Steve, I know of people who have led their spouse to the Lord. I do too. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. And it does happen. It definitely happens. I can give you, I can give you those uh, instances as well. But when we set out to marry someone far from God, and then we expect that when we get married, they're miraculously going to change, It doesn't usually happen that way. See, people are who they are, and if they're not going to change on the way to the altar, they seldom change after that. The trajectory is generally the same. And that's how we have to understand this. Don't think you're going to convince them later. Don't think think you're going to convince her later. You need to see them on the journey to follow Jesus before the marriage. Nehemiah closes his book in verse 28 through 31. He says, speaks of it. He says, And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanbal at the Hornet. Therefore I chased him from me. What he's saying is this, we had guys who were connected to, intermarrying with our enemies, and I chased them from me. Verse 29. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, And I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the word, for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O God, for good. Nehemiah said, I did everything I could to present this people to you, Lord, as pure and clean and holy, because it matters for the purpose that your people are. See, Nehemiah poured his life out so God's people could display his greatness in the city of Jerusalem did everything he could to make sure that they wouldn't be corrupted by foreign gods and by getting off track. So as we look at this passage and we consider family life in general, we need to understand, first of all, that marriage is essential to populating heaven. 
See, that's our goal, right? Our goal is we want as many people as we can to go with us, to be with Jesus forever. That's what we're all about. And your marriage is all about making that happen. It's essential for that to happen in two ways. One, through raising up godly offspring. And second, to demonstrate and illustrate the love of God for one another as the love of Jesus for his church. Your gracious gospel-shaped marriage will be an example to the world of who Jesus really is. So in light of that, choose wisely. Choose wisely and help others choose wisely. It matters who you date. It matters who you marry. It's not just about you and your happiness and how great it's about the kingdom of God. It's about populating heaven choose wisely and if you're already married live faithfully live a life a marriage that demonstrates the gospel that says i love you i'm not ready to just find everything wrong with you i want to give you the opportunity to thrive in our marriage we want to demonstrate who jesus is and his relationship with his bride the church and to live faithfully means you're going to have to live with some pain. You're going to have to live with some flaws. And you're going to have to be forgiving and gracious towards one another. Marriage is not easy because, as the great Tony Evans once said, when you get married, there's not less sin. Now you bring two, two sets of sin and you put it in the same house. So now you have twice the sin. But Jesus is gracious and loving. And when we repent, he is faithful to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Choose wisely and live faithfully. And one last thing. You say, but Steve, I know that Moab, there's something good about Moab in the Bible, isn't there? Yeah, there's the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. God's people the family of Naomi, they left their homeland. They went to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. And when they were there, Naomi's two sons married Moabite women. His two sons died, didn't produce any children. One of the daughter-in-laws went home, but the other, Ruth, saw something in Naomi. She saw this godly woman, and she declared that your God is my God. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you are buried, I'll be. Or your people will be my people. And against all odds, she, she leaves her home, her family, what could be her future to follow Naomi and Naomi's God. And she comes to the land of Israel where God marries her to Boaz. And they are in the line of Jesus. So yes, God can redeem very difficult circumstances. And if you're in one of those difficult circumstances right now, you say, I married somebody from Moab. I didn't know it at the time. Didn't know it. God can redeem that. You be faithful. You continue to love. You continue to honor. As Peter said, you may win them by your good conduct. You know, marriage is essential to populating heaven. Be faithful. Choose wisely. Let God redeem your spouse through you. Let's bow in prayer.
Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.